He says, I'm not going to tell you how to drive it. He says, because it's either you got it or you don't. So we're just going to see what happens. It's time for Class Racing Today, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. It's time for another episode of Class Racing Today. ClassRacingToday.com, ClassRacingToday at gmail.com for any comments, questions, uh, or just to say hi. And uh, uh, Or if you want to help sponsor the show and make it even better, uh, don't forget to do that. Say hi. Um, <clears throat> Bobby and Brian uh, join me, and we do some, who knows, weird racing talk. Uh, today, though, is a little bit different, only because... Um, Brian claims to have a real job, and he supposedly has uh, work to do. So, um, Bobby is here. Bobby, how are you? Doing well, Craig. Awesome. How you doing, buddy? Fantastic. Um, Brian's away. So, are we? Are we like the cats playing? Is that how that yes. works? It means we can break the rules. <laughs> That's right. So, what rules are we breaking today? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> Brian's as straight as an arrow, so uh, <laughs> nice. totally, yeah. And so am I. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no problem with that. Um, you are are, I think, uh, wading into some some deeper water today. Talk about this a little bit. Well, I am a fan of our of the class that our guest runs today. Uh, I watch it all the time. I know it's a hard class to be in. Very competitive. Looks like they're very fun to drive. Looks very expensive. But I don't know much else about the class, and I want to learn a little bit today. So that is why I brought on last year's U.S. Nationals Hemi Shootout champion, Mr. Steven Giannis, who drives a Superstock A Hemi 1968 Plymouth Barracuda. And if I have to, like, choose between the Barracuda and the Dart, it's... I, I don't know. I just, I kind of like the body of the Barracuda a little better. Just always have since I was a kid. I like that, you know, that, I guess, fastback mm-hmm. approach. <clears throat> Excuse me. I always wanted a 67 or 68 Mustang fastback. And maybe in my next life, I'll get one. But until then, I'm just going to, you know, watch AH class uh, <laughs> shootouts. I wish <laughs> so, that I was driving one of them. So um, Brian's not here. So I'll, I'll have to play his, his role. Um. <laughs> You just have to stay into the Ford world. Is that it? <laughs> no opportunity to get out of that. I'm locked in right now. <laughs> I'm locked in. Unless somebody wants to buy my cars and an HRA <laughs> wants to restore stock and super stock to absolute greatness where it's a great return on investment. I'm probably just going to stay put where I am right now. <laughs> that's reasonable, I guess. Right. But that's our job. We're trying to restore stock and super stock to its greatness. That's why we started this podcast in the first place. That's right. We're putting us back on the map. Right. <laughs> Yes. All of our millions of viewers, all the millions of viewers out there, we're putting stock and super stock back on the map. That's right. All right. So, first off, let's introduce our guest again, Mr. Steven Giannis. Steven, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Another rainy day in New Jersey. Wishing I was headed to Florida with, you know, a lot of my D1 counterparts. Well, um, it's uh, a little overcast today, but it's supposed to be high as 77, so... Oh. I'm in shorts today. Go screw yourself. Thank you. All right. <laughs> that's all for today. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. So, Stephen, Stephen, you are uh, in the Charleston area of South Carolina, correct? 
That is correct. Charleston, South right. Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. 35 years old, but you originally from Pennsylvania, which yep. I did not know. Um, yep, I spent 18 years there, and I lived a quarter mile away from where the terrorists put that plane down. So I got a great landmark to where I used to live. Oh, my goodness. Right. What is the name of that town? Uh, Shanksville. Shanksville, Pennsylvania, right. Uh, near like Pittsburgh, kind of, right? That's between Pittsburgh and Hershey, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. United uh, 93, I believe, was the yep. plane. Yep, Flight 93. Yep. yep. Ah, terrible, terrible, but man, have you visited that area since since this happened, since 9-11? Uh, well, when I was younger, I did, but now they got a bunch of monuments and stuff up there, and I have not seen it since all that has happened, but uh, like you know, a year after like it happened where there's just a hole and stuff and there wasn't really anything there other than what the people put up. That's what I saw. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I've never been there. I've been to uh, New York. I've been to the, the twin towers site a couple of times, but never been to the Pentagon and have never been to Shanksville. So something I'll have to do one of these years. Um, let's get started here. So first of all, we actually had a division four race in Bella Rose, Louisiana, at No Problem Raceway. Lots of action this weekend. I was a little disappointed. It wasn't on NHRA TV because, especially in the beginning of the year when there's only, like, one race to hone in on, I just, and they were running stock class eliminations. Like, this was right in my wheelhouse. It was raining here all weekend. Just wanted to plop on the couch and watch this race. And, of course, it wasn't on there. So I heard it was bad bandwidth at that track. It's in the middle of nowhere, as a lot of tracks are. and. uh just couldn't watch it, so I had to just follow along, see who was posting videos on Facebook, and see what was up on there. Um, let's go through a couple of the winners. In stock, we had Wes Neely in a J-Stock Automatic 89 Firebird, and he beat Drew Whalen in a B-Stock Automatic 98 Firebird. So we had an all-Pontiac final. Gotta love the Pontiacs. Firebird final. Super stock. We had Mr. Pestman, I believe, the Exterminator. He should put that on the side of his car, the exterminator. Um, Jeremy Duncan, Superstock D-Automatic, 69 Camaro. And he took the win over one of the Emmons, Harvey Emmons, in a GTF Automatic 05 Cavalier. Jeremy Duncan was cutting some good lights. He was driving, driving some good races there. So congrats to him. He's been around. He's a good, he's a good driver. Again, one of the guys I don't want to have to race. I say that about everybody that comes, like, that we talk about though. I don't want to have to race that person. And then we ran stock class eliminations. All right. So let me run down these names real quick, just to give them their, you know, give them what NHRA probably won't give Uh double a stock automatic class winner, Brenda grubs in a 69 Camaro, a stock automatic Sam Porso, probably butchering the name. He's in a 99 Camaro B stock automatic Don Pelicino in a 2000 Corvette. Uh, I believe he was number one qualifier also, uh, like 114 under. Uh, D-stock automatic, Hayden Trumbull, 71 Chevelle. F-stock automatic, Bill Bagley, 73 Duster. Factory stock, A, good friend of mine, Anthony Bongiovanni in a 2010 Cobra Jet. Factory stock, B, PB Candies in a uh, 2020 Dodge, uh, I believe it's Dodge Challenger, I'm not sure. It just said 20 Dodge on there, and I never got to see a picture of his car, so... Way to go, PB Candies. G-Stock Automatic, the killer from down south, Jimmy Hidalgo. 91 Corvette, the country dog. H-Stock Automatic, 
Dempsey Pendarvis, a 2010 challenger, iStock automatic, the fastest 70 something Nova in the country. There's like mid to late 70 Novas. Jim Marshall, uh, J stock automatic was Wes Neely. So he won class and won the race. Way to go, buddy. L stock automatic, Sammy Laporte, 87 Firebird. And in the stick combo, we had an N stick, Jamie Greening, 96 S10 pickup truck. Uh, the automatic combo, Jimmy Hidalgo and his 04 GTO. I believe that's E-Stock Automatic. He's the country puppy. And factory stock combo was Brett Candies and a 13 Copo. All right. Way to go, everybody that won class. Congratulations. <laughs> Woo! I'm out of breath. All right. Let's get back to Mr. Steven Giannis. I'm here. He's here. He's the 2020 champ. Indy, U.S. Nationals, Hemi Shootout. He ended little Jimmy Daniels' four-year run. I believe Jimmy Daniels won this 2016, 17, 18, and 19. I don't think Jimmy Daniels ever even lost a round since he's been 18, running. The Hemi 18 rounds of competition when he raced two ton. 18 rounds in a row, and then he lost uh, first round to Joe Tuton. I think it was a close race, 8.58 to an 8.60 were the times. Yep. So can't argue Jimmy Daniels, he's got power, uh, big Jim Daniels. And I believe they are running. I know they're running out of the, uh, Barton camp. So they are powered by Ray Barton. Uh, Steven, who, who, who powers your stuff? Who builds your engines? Charlie Westcott out of Parma, Michigan. Charlie Westcott out of Parma, Michigan. He was, he and his father used to run. This AH category, I guess they haven't run it in about five or six years at least. 2014, he retired after he won it. Okay, so 2014. So we're going on seven years now. And they always ran, uh, well, Militia, did, or no, I think the one car had Jessel on the side of it, but they go by, or the name of their business is Militia Racing Products or something. Militia like Racing that. Products, yep. Charlie, Charlie, uh, Wayne Jessel and Charlie are really good friends, and Wayne was a big contributor to the Jessel system and stuff that's on these engines. And uh, it said Jessel test vehicle on the side of Charlie's car, which was the Warfish. And then Charlie's dad, which is Charlie Sr., he ran the Tan 68 Barracuda, and it was called Fish Tank. Okay. All right. Now your car, the green and white car that you run, that you want in, is an original 68 Hemi factory uh, Hemi Barracuda, correct? Yes. I mean, it's uh, as far as the history goes, that's a yes and no thing. Some people are like, yes, yeah, some people are no, but uh, it should have been one of the original 57, um, uh, Harold Dutton. Harold Dutt with the drag hag is the person that originally owned it. And we believe it to be that car. So it has the, the, the VIN number and everything on it. It's got the, the trunk VIN number in the trunk from Hearst. Uh, it's got the numbers on it to say that it is. Right. And that's, I believe a, what a BO29 code and uh, f um, what fiberglass light, like lightened uh, fenders, right? And hood and. <laughs> Well, the like the BO twenty nines and I, I think the Dartra LO twenty nines, um, they all came with fiberglass front uh, front uh, front hood, fenders, uh, came with lightened glass, 
uh, didn't come with any uh, window mechanisms. All the window mechanisms stuff were taking out of the doors. It had a seatbelt that pulled the window up and it snapped in to hold the glass, you know, up. Uh, radio delete, heater delete. Um, came with, you know, the A990 seats and the light brackets and stuff on it. Um, no backseat, right? They took the backseat out. They put. Uh, yep, and they and they came with bucket seats in or something. Yep, and they came with just regular like 14 inch steel wheels and no no paint on the car because they knew that a gallon of paint cost was eight pounds and that you were going to change it anyways. They knew that you were going to change the wheels and tires on it, make the rear end narrow. And, uh, I mean, those are like some of the most iconic pictures that I love to watch and see about these cars, like them rolling out of the factory and going on a trailer on a station wagon. And they got the whole family there and dad's loading this thing up and it's just bare primer. And his wife's just sitting there just shaking her head going, why would you do this? And, <laughs> I mean, and we, we get the same look from our wives today when they go out to the garage and you have all this stuff sitting around. You're like, why? But I mean, you can't explain that to people that don't get it. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I, I'm just a fan of these cars and I do love the the way they were thinking back in 1968, like they, I just wish I could have been around back then to, to see these cars in action and socks and Martin and um, a good buddy of mine, Evan Smith was actually uh, driving uh, the socks and Martin car, like not racing it, but he was, he was like driving it around in the, in a parking lot recently uh, where it's, where it's being stored. And that was really cool. Things sounded amazing still. And um, now these cars, the, the Barracudas, I, I could be way off on this, but I thought the Barracudas all uh, came with stick shift, four speeds, um, when they made these cars. Is that true or false? False. They, they came with automatics and sticks, just like the darts did. Did they? Okay. So that's why you're allowed to run all right, autos and sticks. Now, is the uh, stick shift, is there a weight break difference, um, horsepower difference, something along the lines there of that? When they first started, there was a weight break in the stick car. Uh, but as today sits, automatics and stick shift cars are both 3,200 pounds, you know, factored off of a 505, 426, 505. Okay, so no, no weight benefit now. It's just whatever helps you get that power to the ground you go with. Well, yeah, and I guess it's personal preference. I mean, once you run a stick shift, I really don't, I really don't think that anyone would ever want to go back to an automatic. <laughs> I agree with you there. Yep. So your car is a stick shift then, right? Yes, sir. All right. Did you run it as an automatic uh, before, or was it always a stick? Uh, that car particularly, no. It's, it started off as a, as a manual transmission when I got it. Um, when I first bought the car, we uh, bought a a cheaper 426 super stock engine uh, off a of racing junk had an old Dick Landy intake in it. And I sent it up to the, the blessed and gone Bob Reed. Uh, he was the guy that put the motor in it. He's the guy that told me about Ram clutch when I first started. Uh, he told me G force transmission over where uh, over Liberty and Jericho. Um, he kind of set the car up and my first three or four, Great passes were with that engine and Bob up there at the Dirty Mill at Mooresville Moores, Raceway. And uh, so, I mean, that's a pretty cool memory that I get to have with an iconic guy in, in, the, in the class and in the sport that, you know, he was sitting on the fence with his tight jeans, cowboy boots, and cigarettes, <laughs> watching me make hits in it, you know. And uh, I got some old videos and stuff of it. And 
it's uh he says it's you know he, he was telling me when i first got in it he says i'm not going to tell you how to drive it. he says because it's either you got it or you don't so we're just going to see what happens now what kind of rpm are you guys turn in these cars uh it's it's north it's north of 9300 man i know i know guys to been running 10,000 i know guys have been running 10 too i've known i've known guys i mean we've had a couple problems and ours ours has hit 10200 before wow how many uh, runs do you get out of Val springs like one one weekend or what uh it, it's it really kind of goes off of, of how brave you are, you know? So every, every, every run we come in, we go over the valve train and we look at it pretty meticulously and check over things and stuff like that. But, you know, I'd say that if, if you wanted to be conservative, I'd say 50 runs. Wow. That's at, at, at 25, 40 more than I was thinking <laughs> at 25, I start getting worried. <laughs> <laughs> start. Do you guys, I mean, after you make a run, and I don't know how much time they give you at, uh, I don't know, at the shootout at Indy or so. I mean, are you pulling valve covers off after every run and just at least a visual inspection, I would imagine, right? Every every pass that we make when we're running shoot, when we're, when we're in shootout mode, uh, where the car is at its break point, every pass where it's on kill 100% every run. Uh, every pass that it comes in, we go in, we pull the valve covers, or run the valve train, look for any anomalies in it. Uh, we'll check everything as far as we can see on the top side of the head. Uh, go to the race pack, look at our data, and I'll make a clutch adjustment every round, whether I just tighten things up a little bit and reset gaps and stuff like that, or I go in and I make a little bit of changes. But typically, when, when you're in shootout mode you're you're making a you're making a slight change every pass just to try to one keep on top of it but then try just to give yourself just a little bit of edge going yeah. into it see my dad would have been great for those shootout modes he loves making little changes after every run and we're supposed to be in bracket mode so that's funny because my dad's the total opposite every time we come in he's like i gotta take the stupid floor out of this car i'm like that's your only, <laughs> it's your only job you got right now so it's, it's not that bad <laughs> Yep. Oh man. So do you, are you the kind of guy that will run regular races that, that don't have Hemi shootouts? Are you just a shootout? I want to go as fast as I can kind of guy, or do you, you know, do you ever try to win the eliminator also? Uh, with, with the car, with, with the car that we have in shootout mode, our stick car, I don't want to do that. I, I, me personally, I don't want to run eliminator with that car just because of, of how finicky it is. Uh, I mean, there's guys that go out there and run it and stuff like that, but I prefer to save my parts. Um, but, you know, we bought Bucky Hess's Candy Cuda in 17, and that has a Westcott Hemi in it, and uh, it's got an automatic in it. We're going to do some bracket racing with that this year. We're going to go to the big money, Jason Lyon, Dave Connolly, Bo Butner races, um, and, and hit that, and then the owner of the cars is the one that's going to start running that car once he gets licensed and freshened up on how to run the car. He'll be there running that car at shootouts and stuff like that. And probably he'll run, you know, uh, the eliminator and stuff like that to get his feet wet and run classes and stuff like that, as well as the shootouts. But as far as the answer to your question, my stick car will, will not run an eliminator. Gotcha. Are you allowed to say who that owner is or is he trying to remain anonymous right now? Uh, 
Oh no, his name's Anthony Rhodes. He's my my boss, my partner. He's a great guy. Loves racing, and uh, comes to every race that we go to. And we got the candy car, and we were gonna sell the stick car just because we were gonna try something different. Because everybody else was kind of when we first started, everybody was kind of getting wound down because the stick car takes a lot of work. I mean, you bring it in, and you're like you said, I'm making a clutch adjustment every time, and you know, so about 45 minutes to an hour and a half every every round, you're trying to tweak it and caress it and massage it and love on it, make sure nothing's hurt, so you can go out there and make another hit. So the guys were kind of getting tired just with the severity of how how hard it was, but uh, we raced an automatic and and I just. It just wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Still a Hemi, still pulls big 60, 70-foot wheel stands and stuff like that. I mean, it's cool, but launching off the trans brake button and then watching it shift itself and you're just hanging on to it, that's, that just takes the fun and the, the fun out of the sport for me. Uh, dude, I agree 100%. So don't even get me started on that. <laughs> They've heard me complain about that enough on this on this show. So For sure. yeah, that's, I'm glad you're running a stick. Uh, I just, what's it like going down the track in one of those things? I mean, how quick do those shifts come up on you? And what, oof, I, you can't even, I would ask you to explain like how it feels, but it's like trying to, ex, you just, you just can't, but if you want to try, go ahead. What do you feel when you're in that car? Well, I'll give you my, my, my best opinion of it. I mean, it's, it's probably one of the more, violent cars in the class because it's so heavy it's got big torque big horsepower uh it's got a bunch of gear in it you know you, you're launching the car uh you launch the car off the chip and it, the car leaves and it's up in the air and the shift light comes on you bang second while it's still in the air when everything's going right it comes down and it lays itself down just so soft you, about uh uh, between the eighth and the start you get in the third right before the eighth mile you're in high gear and it's it's uh the sound of those engines when they're turning over 90 93 95 9600 rpm is just unreal i mean it it never hurts my feelings when i first started and even now to go out early and go down to the bottom end and listen just go watch these guys race that's in our, it's in my class and listen to the cars and stuff because this an 800 pound motor slinging 9,500 RPM down on the big end. There's, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's, and I've said it a thousand times. I could, I've, I've raced the top sportsman Daytona. I've raced a 950, 2,700 pound floating leaf spring car that drives like a sprint car. And, you know, between all those cars that you race, yeah, they're, they're fun. And the sportsman car was super fast. I mean, it would run five flat in the eighth. But uh, there's just nothing like running one of these eight cars. It just really isn't. I know. I know in my my super stalker and maybe you as well, when you're down at hitting that thousand foot marker and just waiting for that finish line to come up and you hear that screaming engine and you're just just praying. <laughs> Sometimes I just say, oh, God, just stay together. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for the finish line so I can let off of it and go neutral and just shut it down and be like, yeah. okay, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you said you're hitting the, uh, the Bo Butner race. Are you going to hit that class racer revival in um, St. Louis as well that uh, Tyler Bohannon is having uh, Easter weekend? Uh, we'll, 
we'll see how the butter race goes because this is the first time that we're going to take an a car profile and try to bracket race with it i mean like 15 rounds a day bracket race yeah so it, it, it'll be uh it'll be a, a test for 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 all of us you know we're really looking forward to, to seeing it and um but you know the motor combination the training combination we're just gonna go into it easy we're gonna be testing here within about about a week with the automatic card and we're gonna make some rounds with it try to round robin it see how hot it gets and kind of just test a couple of things that we're gonna be putting ourselves in those scenarios and i'd rather do it now while i'm only two hours away than be down in valdosta and something happens so right. we're gonna we're gonna basically make a a test facility of what we're going to run into. So yeah. we're going to have chiller. We're going to have the chiller and everything there. We're going to bring it back. We're going to try to hot lap it within like 15 minutes, take it back up, make another hit, see what it does Oof. and just learn, learn from it, get experience. Yeah. And I mean, cause we're going from something where it's all out racing to now we really have to go back to our roots to where we started with racing Mopar races and, you know, Blankenship and, uh, Jeff Johnson races and stuff like that, you know, where we started to where we were really good bracket racers and getting our mentality out of just trying to run the guy down and, and being conservative. Yeah. And I mean, when you're running in bracket mode, it doesn't have to be on kill all the time. You can do a couple of things that will preserve the life of the motor. So Steven, tell us how, how'd you get started in this? You're a young guy. You're only 35 years old. Uh, was your dad a super stock racer? Uh, what's the deal? Uh, my dad was never a super stock racer, but my dad has always been a Mopar guy. Um, him and his brother, uh, which is Mike and Steve, they, uh, they have a bunch of classic Mopars. Like my dad's got an original W023, yeah, W023 Hemi Cornet. So it's a factory 67 Cornet race car. His, his brother has an original Maxwell Edge Plymouth Savoy. Um, they got GTX Hemi cars. They got 66 Plymouth Hemi cars. Uh, they got a 64, one of seven known to existence now, or one of seven, four known to existence now with an aluminum hood scoop, but steel front end, 64 Hemi car. And they raced those cars at like Pittsburgh Raceway and stuff back in the day, never at an NHRA level. Um, cars were running like 1090s, 1080s back then, you know, in the Hemi class. Um, and then I started getting into it and I had a Dodge Dakota pickup and I started racing that car. The truck would go like 1460 and I started bracket racing that and having a good time with it. And uh, then I bought a 73 duster and started racing it. And that's when we started really going into the Jeff Johnson, Charlie Blankenship races, you know, just weekend warrior stuff. You know, we were, we were out having fun, barbecuing, uh, more, more hanging out with friends and kind of just piddling around with race cars. And then uh, when I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, I, I got up with Anthony and uh, he had a 66 Barracuda that had a 377 small block in it and it turns 9,400 RPM and it's got a 727 in it and floater leaf springs and big gear and you launch it, you know, you're launching it at like 6,200 off the trans brake and it's car the car leaves so hard it, when the wheelie bars hit the ground it sounds like a shotgun going off and it goes left and right and the car is all over the place and it's fun and uh then we got the top sportsman car when we were racing big money top ball braces so we were going to you know the loose rocker stuff and going out to piedmont and, and having fun with that and uh enjoying 
going really fast in a short amount of time. The uh, car was set up with a glide with a big gear in it, so it only run eighth mile. And then uh, I saw that stick car for sale on the internet, and I went over to my boss. I said, I said, if you want to try something fun? I said, it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be hard. I said, but I've never done it, but it, it's the epitome of super stock racing. I said, if you want to get into NHRA racing, I said, this is what we're going to do. And he, uh, he bought it and he's like, let's go. So we went up to Tennessee. We made a deal with, uh, um, Don Hutton and we bought the car. We brought it back here. It went to Bob Reed's and we kind of got everything to where it would run and go down the track, but the, the car would never really rotate. We could never get the car on the back tires and, you know, bless Bob Reed's heart. You know, he's, he's old school racing. So, I mean, we went all the way down to 90, 10 shocks in the front and, <laughs> just trying to simplize the game to get the car to rotate which is completely different from where we are now with the shock technology and all that stuff so we messed with it for a little bit and then uh at that point in time it only had an 850 cage in it so then we sent it up to john holtz and said hey let's uh let's weigh the car balance the car let's put really good shocks on it let's get a 750 cage on it and uh i got a motor from David Collette, which he runs super stock and stock and stuff like that. And that was a motor that was in the Dixie Hemi that crashed. And I actually, Anthony owns that car too. And it's sitting in the garage now with new roof, quarter panels, everything on it. It's going to go up to Ken Cures and get freshened up on the cage. But we put that motor in the stick car. It started running pretty decent. Uh, first race we ever went to was at the Sport Nationals in 2016. And uh, we were late there. I don't know. We had a problem with something and we, we had to go straight into first round. So I went straight up against first round against Doug Fazalor and I went like 884. He won 887 and uh, uh, 884. He won 887 and I lost on a whole shot. He beat me on the, on the, on the light. I'm going to have to plug it here. Oh, so going right into first round. And it's still a close race. That's, you know, you just, you think the light would shine on you right there and you would have a little bit of good fortune, but I guess that just wasn't the case as has been no, with me no, many no, times. No, it wasn't. <clears throat> but, you know, we were, we were in really good spirits about it because it's the first time that I ever made a quarter mile pass in the car. We got into the 150s. Everything, everything was good. We put the, we put the car back in the train where nothing was broke. It was a win for us. So uh, then after that, and we floated around with a couple of different engine builders. Uh, we went with uh, Automotor off of Steve Baber, and that's a, that's a, that was a Charlie Westcott Rare Morrison hybrid. Uh, it was originally a Charlie motor, and then he sent it to Rare. And that, that motor was work, really, really working well for us. That's the motor that when we went to Gainesville, we went uh, our first 30 with it. We went 838 at 100 and. 160 with a six or a three. It's the first time that we've been 160 mile an hour. And there's only a handful of guys in the class that have been 160 as far as that, that goes, as far as the super stock cars go in our class. And uh, then we went and tried to go with an engine builder from Texas, and that didn't really pan out for us. And we didn't have very good luck with that. And throughout this whole process, I was asking Charlie Westcott to build my engine. Since the, since the moment me and Bob were putting the car together, I was asking Charlie to build me an engine. And he just kept on telling me, just, you need to stop, get a new hobby. So this, this, 
stop. <laughs> he says, you don't, you don't need to be doing this to yourself. And uh, five years down the road, I asked him and a bunch of things were going on with COVID and business and stuff like that. And I, I got on, I got him on a good day and he said, I'll, I'll build you an engine. So kind of rest is history from there. You know, we went to uh, Martin and tested it and we tested it in Martin and the last pass we did, it went a 47. He said, put it in the trailer, went down to Indy, pulled it off the trailer, went a 47 qualified there we were number one and from that point on it it uh it was kind of on a terror you know it, the car was round one was a 41 and well we ran, we ran round two was a 45 but the top alcohol cars ran right before us and i me personally i feel that they just kind of put like a little haze over the track when they run and the car kind of fell off a little bit and went a 45 but after that, it was consecutive, you know, 41, 45, 41, 41. And it just, it was in bracket mode, which is wow. really hard to do with what we were, what we were managing with. And um, to come out and be the only car in the forties and to go out and do what we did and dominate like we do. That's, that's a sheer testimony to Charlie Westcott of Melissa Racing Products. I mean, that's just, that's how he does things. That's his milieu. And uh, he did it in great fashion and gave us the, the great, the, best equipment to do it you know excellent i was i'm trying to find out what's the quickest one of these cars has ever gone and i'm looking at the uh nhra record books right now but it, it doesn't have anything because nothing's been done recently like an actual record been set do you have any idea what what the quickest pass in one of these cars is right now to be well i know i know in our class gary walkowitz in my eyes owns the record what we're all trying to chase, he went 821 with a nine, and he did it at 159. Wow. Now, at that same race, Westcott was there as well. He went 8, 822 at 162. So it, they, were, they were right there is where everyone's trying to come back to that. So, you know, there, there might be – I think that there's a new record out. Someone has it at like a 48 or something like that. I think Rich Locker – got owns it right now in our class at like a 48 but you know what track was that 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 they both went in the 20s low 20s uh that was at sgmp mm. okay but uh, we you know that that was our goal after indy was to try to find some good air and to, to see what the car really was made of um but i'm a firm believer uh that that record that Walkowitz set is the record and I'm not going to go. I'm, I've had my, I have, I've had the R on the car twice now, and I wasn't close to getting it, so I took it off. But I will not set a record until it beats the record. You're right, right. And you've gone 160. So for him to do it at 159, he must have really. That car must have been working off the starting line and pulling. Oh yeah, the his, mile. his 60 foot was probably ungodly. Yeah. My goodness. And Walkowitz has a dart. In fact, I've had to race him before in an eliminator, and he's always fast. Uh, he's powered by Barton. What's going on with Westcott? He was trying to run pro stock. I remember that. Is he still into that? Uh, is he still trying to do that? Do you know anything about that? Um, I guess as much as I know is the, the pro stock car is there. He's working on parts and pieces and developing things with it, but his business right now is his number one priority, and 
he's building it and growing it into a, a fantastic business. I mean, he does such great work. I mean, it's, you give him something and have him design it and turn it into something that's stock. And then you, he puts the Charlie twist on it. And it's, it's just everything that that guy does is really top notch stuff. I mean, he's a great guy. Right. So when you say his business, his, his like engine building business, is that what he does for a living? Not that this is a Charlie Westcott interview, but I, I just want to know what he does. Uh, he actually only builds a few engines. His okay. main deal is he builds camshafts and stuff like that, special pieces. Uh, he does a lot of like uh, custom valve train work. Like he'll make retainers and stuff for valve springs. And, uh, you know, if, um, I think on YouTube, he's got a couple of things where if you look up Charlie Westcott, you could see him on the CNC machine, but he made a camshaft for a Buick and made the gear and everything for it. And just the, the way that, that he does that stuff, it's just, it's art. You know, if you could put it on a chain, you'd wear it as a necklace. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing what these guys can do, you know, with, with these machines watching uh, Travis Hess paint a car or, or, or a helmet or anything. Like I watch those videos sometimes and I'm just like, Oh my God, what if that, what if you go the, the brush the, like the wrong way or the wrong thing? Like, how do you, how are you going to fix it? You know, <laughs> I, know. I, get, I get nervous watching. <laughs> and you know, Travis's work with Bucky's that, you know, it, I mean, that kid is, is amazing. Now who, uh, are you, you bought one of Bucky's cars. So obviously you have one of his paint jobs. Um, is he painting your other car too, or what's going on there? Or is this, uh Oh, I see if, well, I, nice. I, I guess you don't really know what's going on until you, uh, see it at the track. Oh, all right. Okay. So, um, you have the old candy Cuda car, right? Is yes, that the I one did. that you said you have? All right. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that the car that Bucky, I know he, he hit the wall with a car. The car he hit the car the, the wall with, and him and Travis went back and he fixed it. And that just goes to show his ability, you know, to be able to take the car that that has that much work into it, to where it's that much pinstriping and fish scales and art, and to be able to take a new slate and blend it all into it and, and to make it perfect again. I mean, that's just a sheer testimony to what those guys do. Oh my goodness, I know, unbelievable. How? I feel like it's something you have to be born with because I can't even draw stick figures. Like I was the worst in art class when I was in school. It was embarrassing. So oh, I mean, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I can work on things. I'm, I'm better with a wrench than, than, a, than a pencil. Than a, than, a, than a pencil or a paintbrush. Yep. Right. Yep. So I, uh, I just, I wanted to ask you like what, so your first real race then, is is aside from maybe some testing you said you're going to go to the uh bow button race right so you're not going to be in gainesville this year um what's the rest of your schedule like what what are you planning to hit this year uh it, it really just depends you know um we're kind of waiting on some things to to arrive at our shop and that'll determine some some, some things on the stick shift side of it but uh i mean the automatic car it's it's legal so you know, we might run a couple races, grab some, grab some great points and do a little bit of testing with that car and have some fun. Um, you know, it's, cause it's a lot nicer when you don't have to worry about being in shootout mode. It's, I guess it's kind of hard to explain cause you're just running it all out, but it's just a, a lot less stress. 
going to just an eliminator and, you, you know, you just come back and check the valve train once or twice and you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about anything as far as the, the training or anything goes. And it's just a lot easier on you and you to come out and relax and have a little bit of fun and still get to go racing. So um, tentative schedule, testing in about a week. Uh, big money race coming up in March, end of March. Uh, and then we'll probably hit a couple uh, D1, D2 races. Grab some grade points there. Um, I know that we'll be doing some testing with the stick car for sure. Um, our local track here, Darlington, it's probably one of the best places that you could go to test. And uh, go out there and make a couple hits in the stick car and dial it in. And I'd like to take it to a couple national, I mean, not nationals, but just a couple of divisional races just to get it out there and to run it, see what happens. But uh, just really prepping for Indy. I mean, that's our biggest race of the year for that car. And uh, yeah, I guess just uh, have fun. Now talk about the stress, right? Indy, you have to defend your championship. Now you're going to have a bullseye on your back. Does that make you nervous at all or what? No, uh, I, I, I I used to get nervous like that when I used to be a big money racing and top ball racing against really good guys in that top sportsman car. And uh, I just trained myself to kind of just let that go. You know, in any race, in any race, you have to beat yourself before you beat the other guy. So I kind of just go back to that mentality. I have a routine that I go through and I just, you know, stay calm. And as long as uh, everything goes smooth, then that, that helps me a lot too, is it? when I'm in between rounds, I'm working on the car so much, it really takes your mind off everything else. You know, you're just really deep into making sure that everything's perfect on the car. So it kind of takes the nervousness and jitters and anything that you get out of that, out of that. But, uh, oh yeah, I'd say that I probably got the biggest bullseye on my back right now. <laughs> Everybody that's the top guy in the class is wanting to be the, the new king of Indy. So they'll be coming. Oh, I bet. So I, I do find it cool though, that you, you do your own maintenance, you, you adjust your own clutch. Like it's kind of reminds me of the old pro stock days where got, you know, guys did everything, you know, they, they drove, they tuned, they, they did everything on their cars. And even, even, you know, the fuel cars, like Ed, the Ace McCullough, like drive the car, tune the car, uh, get the data. That's kind of like going away with, with the younger generation that's come in uh, into the pro classes into everything. It's like, they kind of, fly in, drive the car and go sign autographs while the crew just does everything, you know? And, and, so. and I guess that's the way that it's come. But if you would really sit back and look at things, I really believe that being at that level and doing the work yourself, I mean, you're in the car, you're the one feeling the car, you're the one working the car. No one knows more about the car than you should. So when you're looking at the graph and, you know, you see where the car kind of broke traction a little bit or it was chattering the tires or, you know, it was real laggy right here. You know, I've run the car enough. I know when the car, I can just tell by the sound of the car that it's on a good pass. So I know going back into it, when I look at my data, I'm initially right off the start saying we got good stuff here or vice versa. I'm going to say, well, you know, the, the car shook so bad it about broke my back. You know, it, it's, so it, being the driver and working on it at the same time, now don't get me wrong, my crew helps me out a lot. Without those guys, I, it takes more than one person to run an A car. But uh, 
Uh, and, you know, me and Charlie talk a lot about where we're going and what the car is doing. And, uh, you know, all of our guys that give us the, the great parts to do it, you know, Pat Norsha with Ram Clutch and Jessel and Charlie and all the guys that, that make the make everything come together and my, my crew, you know, for four and a half years, they came to these races and watched me get my butt whipped, you know, we'd come, come back with our tail between our legs. And I just keep going back to the shop and trying to be faster and try to be faster, try to be faster. And I said, we're going racing. They're like, well, what you change? I changed a bunch of things. I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen yet. We're going racing <laughs> and, and just keep on building off of that. And I mean, that just really endows you in to not only be a better driver because when I work on my car, it makes me feel better in myself that I checked every nut and bolt. I checked every plug. I did this, I did that. And you know, when, when you come back and you say the car is tight, then you know where to go to, to make it looser or vice versa. You know, it's just, it, it's a lot more satisfaction to me. And when I started this class, I told Anthony, I said, if we're going to do it, I want to do it the hardest way possible. And that's buying a car that doesn't work. <laughs> that no one could make work. You got it at a, you got it at a, at a fire sale. You got it so cheap nobody wanted it. Uh, you know, and built our way up through finding the best people with engines and transmissions, and you know, going through different rear gears and all that stuff. I mean, like you know, Wayne Wayne Henson at Indy Gear. He makes you know with Gleason. They make the best rear gear that you could possibly make. I mean, a lot of pro stock guys use them, but I mean, it's just little tricks and traits that you use going out throughout the the. The, the business that you learn and you know the the carotidy and the friendship and everything you build it's uh it's really made it really uh satisfying really fun to do you know to come up and to be at the bottom and to work your way up at the top and and we run with a we run with a bunch of hard guys i mean none of these guys that are at the top are slouches i mean they've been running these cars since 2002 you know, even like with Jimmy and stuff like that, he's running the car now, but his dad's been campaigning that car. And then before that, David campaigned the car. So all those cars that are still in the class have been there for a long time. They have a lot of data. You know, they've really built them an empire as far as the, the AH world goes. And so to come into it, you know, five years and be where we are, I'm blessed and happy where we are. Yeah, for sure. Very good when you put it that way. Definitely. I've, seen a lot of those cars my you know half my life so you're absolutely right um when you win a, a hemi shootout i guess at indy is there teardown for you guys or do they check anything after after you win or what's the deal uh they they go into a pretty extensive teardown i mean when, when we won camello was number two and uh as soon as we came down the return road they came out with torque seal and it's just like real goopy kind of like almost like a, a, a gelatin, but when it comes out of the gun, it hardens. So they put it over all your bolts, like all your carburetor bolts, all your intake bolts, all your pan bolts, because they say, okay, tear down to seven o'clock in the morning. And then you go roll your stuff in the trailer. That way you can't change anything that would be illegal. Right. It would bring that torque seal and they would see that the mark is broke loose on the, on the nut and the, the intake and stuff like that. But uh, we went in with five and a half hour tear down. I mean, they didn't give us no slack, which is great because, you know, going into it and, and winning the deal, I wanted everybody to know that, you know, we did it fair and square. We worked our butts off. We tried as, as hard as we could try, and everything was 100% legal as far as NHRA spec goes. So they pulled uh, carburetors off, checked it, made us pull the head off, checked the valves, checked all that stuff, 
uh, check the ch check the combustion chamber, uh, check the volume in the cylinder. They pulled the piston and rod out, measured it, weighed it, uh, went through the crank, make sure the crank wasn't a billet crank and that it wasn't, you know, had different weight in it and stuff like that where it shouldn't be. And uh, when I got it back up, my motor was in a Tupperware container. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they definitely did their job to make sure that there was nothing illegal with that stuff that we did, which is perfect for NHRA I want it to be that way it's a hard class to do it and uh, I would want everybody to go through the same thing just so everybody knows that there's there's a line drawn so it was great good yeah I didn't even I wasn't even aware of that so the shootout is that on a Saturday where they tore you down on Sunday or was that on like Monday where they made you stay until Tuesday how did that work they tore us down on my on, on Sunday which was, which was even harder because, you know, you win the biggest race of the year. So naturally you're going to go out and have a good, good night. <laughs> so, and, and us, and us never winning a race period. And then winning the biggest race of the year, we were, me and my boss were out till like four 30 in the morning, <laughs> and, and seven, seven o'clock, six 30 rolls around. And I got to push the car into tear down at seven o'clock and they're up on top beating on stuff. And I'm down on the bottom trying to take the headers off and I'm going, Oh guys, oh. can you keep it down? <laughs> But the, the boss brought us steak and eggs over and a cup of coffee and we leveled out and got it done and passed it. And now we're moving on. And then we went, well, put the motor back together and went to Bellrose in November and, and won there too. Oh man. Yeah. So that was great. I'm sure you didn't put it back together in, in that barn, right? You had to take that thing back to the uh, shop and, and I, take I actually took it back up to Charlie's compound and we went through it and, seeing how everything was working and then I brought it back. Yeah, that's a better idea. I've always been fascinated by the guys that can put their motors back together in the barn and be ready for, you know, first round or whatever. If you set a record on like a Thursday and be ready to race on Friday, it's pretty cool. Well, he so. could definitely do it. I I'm not that comfortable at that state of mind, but if I got talked through it, I probably could, but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see like a piece of dust off the rag, like down in the cylinder. I'm like, get that out of there. Get, get that out. out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I feel you. Me too. I am attention to detail and always just worried about missing a step or just overlooking something. I love having at least two sets of eyes on everything that we do. So that's why I'm glad when pops is there with me, we are always, you know, everybody's always double checking everything. Cause I'm one of those guys that when I go to a race by myself, <clears throat> When I fire that car up to go up to the lanes, either I forgot to put fuel in it or I forgot to check the air in the tires or I forgot to, you know, unplug the battery charger or I forgot to plug the battery charger in to begin with. So I need, I, I got to have somebody there with me. I'm just, I'm just that kind of person. Cause I'm, I'm always on the computer, checking data, checking weather, doing all those things. And then I forget like the common sense, like, uh, you forgot to put air in the tires or check the tires. So right, that's, what's great about our crew. You know, at any given time, we could have four to five guys that come with us to enjoy it. And they're always, you know, when they come, we set the, we set it straight when they're here, like, okay, this is your job. You're going to be the battery charger guy. You're going to be the one putting the fuel in the car. You're going to be the one to make sure we got 12 pound air in it before we go up to the stage lane so we can take air out of it you know it's little things like that so everybody else can focus on all their jobs really ties everything together to make the crew work what it did i mean like i said without those guys we could have never won any right and that brings a level of comfort to the driver like you know everybody's done everything you don't have to worry about i didn't forget anything and that 
keeps you focused on what you need to do. 100%. I really give props to people that go out there by themselves and do well. I mean, I know Fletcher's gone to many races by himself and we all know how many races he's won. So to be able to do, to do that, man, I went to one national event by myself and it was like the worst experience of my life. I like blew the tires off on the starting line in my 12 second stalker, got back to the pits, all angry. <laughs> and then my tent wasn't secured down enough that blew over and hit the car. I was like, Oh my God, this uh, get me out of here. Like, this is awful. So I'm throwing it all in the trailer. I'm going home. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's terrible. This weekend can't get any worse. I shouldn't say that before the nine hour drive home, but hey. it normally happens like that. It kind of escalates to worse things. Like when you have one bad problem, it just seems like it just follows itself. Yep. Oh man. So, well, Thanks for joining us today, Stephen. It's been a real uh, pleasure having you on, and best of luck to you this year with your car. And I'm glad you're running the stick shift. So, for sure, Bobby Craig. Thanks for everything. This is awesome. Yeah, keep it up. Keep up the good work, and good luck this year. I know, I'm, you know, like we said, you're gonna have a bullseye on your back. I know the Barton camp and and whoever else, uh, Camilla and. Wolkowitz and they're all they're all going to be gunning for you i'm sure they're they're working on their stuff so i i and i know you're working on yours so best of luck and we'll see how it goes for you all right guys we'll see you on the other end all right and everyone out there don't forget visit us on facebook visit us on youtube class racing today and instagram at class racing today all right just want to throw that out there and if anybody likes the shirt i'm wearing today we're going to start getting these made, and I've been being asked by a lot of you listeners to, uh, you know, for shirts, hats, apparel, working on it, working on a website. Thanks for listening. Craig, take us away. Yeah. Steven, thanks a lot for hanging out, uh, giving us your thoughts and uh, how you got into this biz. Um, like Bobby said, classracingtoday.com, classracingtoday at gmail.com. Facebook, uh, join the conversation there. Uh, there's a lot going on. A lot of people chatting about what's going on. We're live today, if you weren't aware. We try to be uh, either live or around the same time every week uh, on Facebook. We are working on getting live on the YouTube as well. Subscribe there. That's always a good thing. Uh, and Instagram. Bobby is great about getting content up there and keeping the racers that are out there in the industry uh, giving them a little bit of press time and showcasing them as we go through. Uh, have a great time. Thanks so much for listening. For uh, Bobby and Brian, who is working, have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Be safe. See you out there on the track.